Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. These are dark times. Does anybody know the quote? You know what it's from? Huh? Someone guessed Star Wars? That's a good guess. It's Harry Potter, yeah, right? These are dark times. It's when all the wickedness comes, and it's the the head of the Ministry of Magic, and he steps up to the camera, and it's actually the opening scene of which movie? Deathly Hallows 1, maybe? And it's just the guy, and it's the opening scene. It's the opening line. These are dark times. All throughout the book of Luke, Well, and really throughout Scripture, you see this use of light and darkness kind of symbolically, but also also it actually happened. God kind of uses it. Today we're going to look at a passage where darkness fills the landscape, and we're going to look at, in the middle of this darkness, in this dark time, how Jesus responds. We've continued for the last three or four months, we've been looking at uh, Jesus teaching us how to pray, and that's been the name of the sermon series Jesus teaches to pray, coming from what his disciples said. And we've looked at not only how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but then how he actually prayed himself so that we might find applications for our lives. And today we're going to look at the last prayer that Jesus ever spoke. It was the last words, according to Luke, that he ever spoke before he died on the cross. These, like those days, are dark times. Now, let me remind you how dark it was for Jesus. He lived in an occupied territory by an outside ruler who hated their very existence. Rome hated the very existence of Jerusalem. They were done with it. They were tired of it. It was a miserable armpit of a place. It was nasty, it stank, and it was hairy, right? Just like a big old nasty armpit. And that's kind of how he viewed Israel and Jerusalem. It's part of the body I have to deal with, but it just is nasty. Be thankful that I chose the armpit. So Rome looks at this place and they're like, you're disgusting people. We don't like you. We think you're backwoods and silly. You're hicks. You're, You're Middle Eastern hicks that are just, you know, there. And we have to deal with you. So they were in the occupied territory by Rome. Let me also remind you that there was no AC and that it is very arid and desert. Let let me remind you that there wasn't really running water. That meant every day you had to go to a well to get your water. There was no grocery store and if you wanted chicken, you had to take the chicken, wring its neck, chop it off, pluck the feathers, Take all the parts off you don't want and then cook it, right? You get the picture. Life was hard. It wasn't easy. And then to add into all that, there was this oppression. There was spiritual oppression. There was oppression from Rome. But there was also oppression within their community and their culture itself. The leaders were oppressing other people. It was a dark time. And Jesus stepped into it as the what? the light of the world, right? There's a reason why that is chosen to describe Jesus. He stepped into the darkness and was the light. 
They were dark times. And we know what dark times are, right? I mean, just look. We were out in Colorado this past week, and one day you could smell smoke, and we were like, golly, that's weird that you can smell smoke. I mean, did someone leave a campfire burning all day? We'll come to find out half, half of Colorado's on fire. Los Angeles County, there's a whole section of Los Angeles County on fire right now, or, or Los Angeles on fire right now. I don't know what county, but Los Angeles is on fire right now. There's that. Then we have kids who are going hungry in places in the world, other places in the world. We have, we have mistreatment, even in our own culture, right? We have parents who don't take care of kids. We have a young kid that was shot accidentally in a shooting. I mean, there are, there's darkness all around us. And I haven't even talked about what's happening in 2020 yet, right? Haven't even talked about the thing, the, the, the gorilla in the room, which is the, right, the pandemic and, and, and the unrest and the division and the disunity. These, like Jesus' times, are dark times. And there is spiritual darkness that is going on. So when Jesus steps into this scene, he understands what you're experiencing and what I'm experiencing, what you're experiencing. He understands 2020 better than you understand 2020. And so how does Jesus respond in the darkest of times? How does he respond when things look like they can't get any worse? And by the way, some of you who are watching this and some of the people that you know, they don't know where they're going to turn next. They've lost their job or they can't get the job that they want and they're stuck right now. And things don't seem to be getting better anytime soon. Now, I don't want to depress you today. That's not the point. But I just want to be real. It's not easy living right now. But let me remind you, you have running water. You have food in your refrigerator. And if you don't, and if you need food, let us know because we have food here. You have AC. Some of you right now are like, okay, we get it, Todd. You can turn off the AC in this room because it's frigid. You could hang meat. I understand that. But if we don't set it on that setting, then it gets really hot in here. Sorry about that. You have, get this, shoes on your feet. And by the way, Chris, you win Shoes of the Day Award. Thank you very much. Yes, awesomeness. Bonnie, I know you love those. <laughs> uh. Those are fantastic. And I, I've got to find me a pair, though. Morgan's going, no. We have shoes on our feet. We have clothes. Guys, we have it better than 90% of the world for 90% of history. And I'm being generous. I mean, it's even better than that. So I know it's bad. But it's not as bad as it was in Jesus' day. Let me remind you, not long after Jesus died, there were Christians who were taken alive and put on a stick while they were still alive. Stick up through parts of their body we're not going to mention, and then lit on fire while they're still alive. Just for the fun of it. Let me remind you that people were raped in the streets. I don't know if you knew that. Let me remind you that people defecated in the streets. Let me remind you that people would literally die in the streets. 
So when you think that we have it bad, just understand your lens is way off from what really bad is. Jesus' day was not pleasant. So how did he respond to the ugliness, the darkness? Let's read about that in Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. Now, we've skipped over a number of passages to get here. There was, there was another opportunity for prayer that we actually covered earlier in this sermon series when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But now we are at the cross, and he's been crucified, and he's hanging there. He's in his last moments of life, his last hours. And, and let me remind you that he's been, he's been scourged, which means he has been beaten to the point where his back is filleted open, open gashes, bleeding. Bone and muscle would have been visible. Flies would have already been swarming on him, and he would have smelled. Because not only blood, but pus and everything else would start coming down his back. Then he's been nailed, and he is literally suffocating. Because that's how you die in crucifixion. You can no longer get breath because of the way you're hanging. You have to pull yourself up to get breath. And sooner or later, you become tired. By the way, that's why they break their legs. So that they can't raise up anymore. And they suffocate. And some, because of the strain of it, their heart will actually burst. And so Jesus is experiencing this. He is in full agony. He is in full pain. And he's on full display. If not to make matters worse, everybody can see him. And it's done to shame him. He's on full display. And this is what we read, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, which is about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, different commentaries and different scholars believe that this darkness means different things. I think it kind of means a bunch of different things. One, the darkness is evil at play, right? It not only represents evil, but it's evil at play. Two, it means that there is a natural response to the spiritual things going on. There are natural responses to the spiritual world. And right now, the natural response of the world, the Savior, the creator of the world is dying. And so nature just says, yep, we're going dark here. That might sound weird to you, but this is a cosmic experience. It's, it's something that we can't explain. The universe is responding to the death of its creator. Does that make sense? But there's a third thing that's going on here, too, I think. Not only is evil at play, not only is the universe responsible, but I also think that it's a way to show, it's a theological statement, it's a way to show the darkness that Jesus is living in. And I think that, that this is God's way of tipping his hat to say, yeah, this is dark. So what does Jesus do when he's, pain, when he's in pain, when, he, when he's suffering, when there's no hope, when everything is lost and he's dying a horrible death and darkness comes over the land? What is Jesus' response to this darkness? The light from the sun fell, verse 45, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Before we get to what Jesus prays, I want to take a moment to talk about the curtain in the temple tearing. Again, scholars disagree with what this means. I think it kind of means all of these things. Some scholars believe it means that it was the way of God showing that he's leaving the building because the curtain separated the people from God. God was behind the curtain. He was believed to be in Jerusalem in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant, and it was behind this curtain. And so when the temple tore, it was symbolic of, of God leaving the temple so that he could be with the people. That's what some scholars believe. Some scholars believe that it, was, that it was a way of showing that God has brought condemnation on the temple itself. It's ripped. I condemn the temple. Jesus came to reform you. You wouldn't listen to Jesus. You crucified him. So now this is your judgment. I'm ripping you apart. So some scholars believe that. Other scholars believe that the ripping is not so much that God goes out but that he removes the barrier so that everybody now has access to him, right? Now, what's interesting, in all three of those cases, who is the actor? Who's the one that tears the curtain? God, yeah. And the reason why we know this is because this word for, for torn is a passive. And when there's a passive that happens in a gospel, a passive verb, it means it's a divine passive. God's the one doing the action. It doesn't name God. You just know that the divine passive is happening. So it's God who tears the curtain. Here's my take on it. I think it's all three. I think that God opens himself up and says, come to me, all of you. I think that God also isn't now contained in the temple, that he is anywhere and everywhere. And I also think that he was condemning, saying, look, guys, you messed up. I sent my Savior, you didn't recognize it, and you blew it. And so the, the curtain is torn. And then Jesus steps in and prays. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, even in the darkest times, he knew that God was good. He was a good father who loved and cared. Do you get that? Even when he was going through agony and pain, he knew that the father was a good father. Even when he was breathing his last breath and he didn't know what was going to happen next, he had to trust that the father was good and was going to take him through this, right? Father. So what does that tell us about dark times? It tells us that no matter how dark our situation is, no matter how dark the world is around us, no matter how bad things get, we always have a Father who loves us deeply, more passionately than we could ever imagine, with compassion that we can't even muster or begin to understand. We have an Abba, a Father. I hope that gives you peace. Now, in this situation, Jesus dies. The darkness of the day turns to darkness in his life. 
His life is snuffed out. My point is this, guys, just because God is a good God doesn't mean he's going to rescue you from everything. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer at times. It doesn't mean that life is going to be all giggles. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be cupcakes and rainbows and whatever else, smiley faces and thumbs ups. It's not. God never promised us that. But even when things are bad, he's a good father who loves us. So Jesus says, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. And this word commit means to place, to put into, to fully give oneself over to, right? To fully give oneself over to. When I was, uh, when I was first learning how to dive, it was at Bell Road YMCA in Montgomery, Alabama, and we had a diving class. It was the only thing out in this field in the middle of nowhere outside of the, outside of the city limits of, of Montgomery at the time. There was this huge pool that the YMCA had put in. And my dad had started the YMCA out there. And there was no building yet other than the pool building and then just this pool. And we go out there and we had diving lessons. And I remember going out there and there was a group of us that were on the swim team. But we also played football and basketball and all that. And we were all, you know, eh, we were rough guys or thought we were. We thought we were real cool. And, and we came into this diving class like, yeah, we're bad. And then there were other kids in the class that we looked at and go, <laughs> nerd, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Look at these geeks in diving class until we got to the board. And it was a one meter springboard, which meant it was about three feet off the, off the pool surface, but it had some spring, didn't it, Dad? That thing had some spring. It was made for diving. And you would go out there, and they taught us all these different dives. Well, the first day out there, I remember we were just going through simple dives, and then they ramped it up. Okay, we're going to do a flip now. Now, I flipped off the side of a pool or off a backyard diving board. It's different when you're one meter up and there's some spring, and you're launching yourself. It's just different. And I remember... All the big guys who thought they were so cool, yeah, we're going to learn how to do gainers, backflips, and, and, and one and a half, and all that stuff, right? Well, we get out there, and what do we do? We, we don't commit to the dive. You go out there, and you jump, and you're up in the air, and you realize, oh, wow, I'm way up here, and you don't commit, and what do you end up doing? Bam! It hurts. It hurts. I remember like one time going under just trying not to cry because when I got out, I was just red all over. Just red all over. But then there was the little geek kid. The little girl that no one thought could do anything. And what did she do? She goes out there like it's nothing and she commits to it and she throws that flip and we're all like, and she lands it and she gets out of the water like it's nothing. And the difference was she wasn't afraid. And she committed to it. She committed to the flip. So many times in life we approach our faith like I did the diving board that first day. We go only halfway and we give a halfway effort, and we end up smacking ourselves. 
It's the people who fully commit, who say, I'm in this thing all the way, who, who throw themselves completely into it. That's commitment. That's this word. Into your hands, I throw myself. Everything that I have, I'm throwing myself to you. So Jesus from the cross says, God, it's horrible. I'm in pain. This is darkness all around me. And I know this is going to end badly. But I trust you, Father. And I'm throwing myself completely into your hands. So the second thing we learn from this is not only that we have a good father, but that good father that in the darkest of times, even if things end badly, we can throw ourselves Fully committed into Him. Fully committed into Him. And trust that He has us. And the word commit here is an active middle indicative. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? It means that it's an ongoing, continuous action. And that it is both something that Jesus is doing but that God's helping him do. That's what the middle part means. He's acting, but so is God. So when he says, Father, into your hands I commit myself, Jesus is in essence saying, God, okay, look, I'm going to give myself fully, but you got to meet me here. you got to help me out through this. you got to give me the faith I need. So guys, how do we pray when times are bad? We pray confidently to a God who loves us, fully committing ourselves, but then asking for him to meet us, right? God, take me here. Help me here. It's okay to cry out to God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I give you everything, all that I am. That's how we approach dark times. Too often in dark times, we, like Peter, walking on water, start looking around at all the chaos and go, oh, and we start to sink, Instead, we got to keep our eyes focused on him and give it fully, throwing ourselves fully into him. God, I'm committed to you. That's how we respond to dark times. Not by running and hiding, not by giving a halfway effort, but by throwing ourselves in all the way. I'm all in. Pushing the chips, God. Here we go. Texas Hold'em. I'm all in. Riding on this hand. I want to show you a couple of pictures from my trip out west. The first one, Seth, I want, I want from the summit here, if you can find that one. Laura and I hiked this last week at this time. Actually, almost exactly at this time, we were right there seven days ago. That's at 13,070 feet. Right now, we're at about 40 feet above sea level. 13,070 feet. And those mountains out there, one of them is 14,000 feet high. Those are the mountains that you can see from over an hour away. It was breathtaking. Literally and figuratively. I mean, literally, you couldn't breathe at 13,000 feet. Now, there was a point, and I hesitate to admit this, don't tell Laura. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. We were at about 12,000 feet, 
And, uh, and I realized we were at about 12,000 feet, which meant how much further did we have to go upward? Another 1,000 feet. And, I, and, there, and look, if you've never hiked uh, out west, there are these things. And there's, it happens in the east, too, but it's called a fault summit. So you're hiking up, and you're like, yes, the summit. Yes, we're almost. It's a fault summit. It's like the oasis in the desert that you never get to. And you get to that, and then you're like, okay, no, that was not the summit. That next little part right there, that's the summit. And we get up to that, and guess what? It's not the summit. It's miserable. There were times on this hike I was like, done, cashed out. But then the other part of me said, I refuse to not commit fully. I refuse to, not, to, to fail. I refuse to not summit this thing. Dead government, I have worked too hard. I've come too far. I'm going to summit this thing. And we pressed on. And guys, that's, that's what faith is. There are times when the darkness is like thin air. It is choking us out and we want to quit. But we got to press through and commit ourselves fully to it. And we do that in prayer. Seth, let me go to the, to the other slide. Not the one like this, but this one. You see those three humps on the left side there? That's Mount Chapin. Mount Chiquita is the middle one. And then the, the third one on the left there, the far left, is Mount Ypsilon. Mount Chiquita, the middle one, is where we were on that last picture. What you might be able to see or might not be able to see, but there is a thin line in the mountain closest to us, a thin, almost looks like a dirt line because it is a dirt line. It's a dirt road. And that's called the Old Falls Road. To get to the trailhead, to hike to the summit we went to, we had to go up one way on a dirt road. The highest paved road in the United States is the sister road to this. This was the original road that we had to drive on. Not many cars can go on it, and it's one lane, and it's one way. Once you start, you can't stop. It's either up or die. Once you commit, once you turn your wheels off the paved road and onto the dirt road, and you start up that first hill, it's, you're done. There is no backing down. There's nowhere to turn around. And let me tell you, there are places where you turn tight and there is nothing for 4,000 feet to the side of you. Does anybody know what pucker factor is? Everything clinches. Everything clinches. My hands were sweaty. My feet were sweaty. And we're driving up this thing. But once you start, you're all in. You have to keep going. And isn't that a perfect picture of what Jesus did from the cross? He was all in. He was on the road. He had put his face towards Jerusalem. And he was going to do what God the Father had told him to do. And the only way to get through was prayer. Let me tell you something. There were a lot of prayers uttered in my head up that road. And that's how we get through the tough times. Abba, Father into your hands I commit my spirit I'm putting all in on you we can't go halfway and that's what prayer does prayer strengthens us refocuses us and enables us 
Now let's go back to the end of this passage, if you don't mind. Seth, take us back to the next part of the passage. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled, the same crowds that fussed at him and spit at him and, and the same crowds that said condemn him and crucify him, the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle laughing at him when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breast. They knew that they were guilty of something. Here's the point. When we step into and fully commit ourselves, when we're all in and there's no turning back and we do that in prayer, other people see God. Do you hear that? When we fully commit, other people see God. If we go halfway like I did on my first one and a half and I end up sprawled out with red all over us, we look like fools. But when we fully commit and go all in in prayer, people around us see us and they recognize. Just like we did that little girl that day on the diving team. We're like, wow, she's legit. She's the real deal. And that's what happened to Jesus from the cross. From the cross, he shows us how to get through dark times. He shows us how to press forward through prayer and fully committing ourselves. These are dark times. But the crucifixion led to resurrection. The dark times led to new life. The prayer of Jesus, which pushed him through, opened up the door so that the world might know and the world might be forgiven, and the world might have new life. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.